0: Africa rise and shine Africa zosa Africa amuka na una
1: It's exactly 8 o'clock Central African time. Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, broadcasting from Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz, on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa, and on 1525 kHz, on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, and DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802. I'm Tato Tola in studio with Anne Musa, Tabi Solehoko, and Figile Lingua. Top stories on Africa rise and shine this hour. A UN human rights chief calls for the probe on DRC abuses. South Africa revokes its withdrawal from the International Criminal Court. Security Council meets to discuss North Korea's missile launches. In economics news, South Africa and Indonesia agree to remove trade barriers. And in sports news, Zambia beats South Africa to reach under-20 Afcon final. But first, here's the latest in Channel Africa News with Anne Musa.
2: A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. The U.S. Embassy in Nigeria says Nigerians are welcome to travel to the United States. Following confusion over President Donald Trump's new immigration rules, a foreign advi- affairs advisor to President Mohamedou Buhari on Monday warned citizens against non-essential travel to the United States as some Nigerians had been denied entry at the border. Trump signed a revised ban on refugees and on travelers from six Muslim-majority nations. Nigeria, which has a majority Muslim north and a predominantly Christian south, is not on the list. Rights groups have urged the United Nations Security Council to impose targeted sanctions on Burundian officials over alleged human rights violations in the country in an open letter published online. The letter, penned by Human Rights Watch and Reporters Without Borders, among others, was published on the eve of a meeting of the UN's top decision-making body to discuss the crisis in the Great Lakes nation. Hundreds of people have died in violence in Burundi, triggered by President Pienkurunziza's decision in April 2015 to stand in elections for a third term in office, which she went on to win. A deadly attack on a military hospital in Afghanistan has been condemned by the UN mission in the country, UNAMA. The attack on the Saddam Muhammad Duad Khan Hospital in the capital Kabul was carried out by assailants, some of whom reportedly were disguised as medical doctors. They detonated a vehicle at the entrance of the building and then stormed the facility, armed with AK-47s, grenades and suicide vests. According to media reports, 30 people were killed and scores more injured, DNPen reports.
3: The extremist group ISIL, also known as Daesh, has claimed responsibility for the attack. The hospital is the largest military medical facility in Afghanistan, according to the UN mission, and treats members of the armed forces and their families. In a statement, UNAMA Acting Chief Penilla Cardell said this egregious and morally reprehensible attack targeted people at their most vulnerable, as well as the medical staff, caring for them. Without question, she added, it amounts to an atrocity and the perpetrators must be held accountable.
2: The Commission for the Promotion and Protection of the Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities as questioned why South Africans are not outraged by the deaths and disappearances of hundreds of young men at initiation schools each year. The Commission has revealed that over 550 young men have died at initiation schools in the past nine years. The commission is holding public hearings about the deaths of young men in the country. Chairperson Tokomguana Kuluva says, on top of that, none of the people responsible for these deaths have been held accountable. She says it's unacceptable that healthy young men lose their lives, and it's business as usual.
4: It's the outrage that is not there. The country is not angry enough. We saw the end in Madagascar. We saw the end in Zimbabwe.
5: Maybe part of what we need to do is to mobilize in society to say, pressurize government to fund this thing.
2: And finally, Kenya's main opposition figure, Rayla Odinga, has been treated in hospital for food poisoning. Odinga is widely expected to stand against President Uhuru Kenyatta in an election in August. He recently formed a new opposition coalition named NASA with three other parties. The political alliance has yet to name its flag bearer for the coming election, but Odinga is seen as a strong contender to challenge Kenyatta, who's standing for the ruling Jubilee Coalition. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time.
1: Welcome to the show. It is six minutes after eight o'clock. Thank you very much, Ann Musa, for giving us that news update. Uh, she did say that she'll be coming through at eight thirty with uh, the news headlines. Remember that um, you can interact with us on our social media platforms. Um, follow us on Twitter at channel Africa one, as well as at rise shine. Africa on Twitter as well On Facebook too, Channel Africa Leave your your comments, your thoughts With regards to all the stories that we're unpacking On the show here today because we definitely Have an open platform where you can Actually have your say and we can interact And have the conversation going on Our social media platforms Now the United Nations Human Rights Chief says the allegations of grave Human rights abuses in the Democratic Republic of the Congo should Face a high level international probe Zaid Rahid Awad Hussein's announcement at the Human Rights Council in Geneva follows the discovery of new mass graves there. Elsewhere in Africa, Zaid condemned horrific violence in South Sudan, reports of state-led enforced disappearance and torture in Burundi and the brutal oppression in Mali. Daniel Johnson has more.
6: Zaydwad Al Hussein told the Human Rights Council that a high-level probe should be set up on the DRC to investigate recurrent allegations of rights violations in the provinces of Kasai and Lomani.
7: In light of recurrent reports of grave violations and the recent discovery of three more mass graves, I urge the Council to establish a commission of inquiry to look into these allegations.
6: Instability and violence has rocked DRC for two decades. It spiked after President Joseph Kabila decided to remain in office when his term came to an end last year. The UN Human Rights Chief told Member States in Geneva that he welcomed official efforts to investigate the killing of more than 100 demonstrators that were attributed to security officers. But Zaid added that there had been no meaningful progress on a recent agreement between the government and opposition parties regarding President Kabila's successor. Elsewhere on the African continent, Zaid condemned government and armed opposition forces in South Sudan for committing massacres and rape in the famine-hit country. He said that the people's desire for human rights had been betrayed by the spreading violence.
7: The opposing forces, including the National Army, have repeatedly engaged in alleged war crimes, including killings, rape and sexual violence, extortion, disappearances, pillage, and the burning of houses.
6: In Burundi, meanwhile, the UN human rights chief said that the democratic space there is now virtually extinguished. Hundreds of people remain in jail because of their real or perceived opposition to the government, Said continued.
7: Grave human rights violations and abuses by security forces and the Imbonerakure militia continue to be reported, including increasing allegations of enforced disappearances, torture and mass arbitrary arrests.
6: Besides these grave allegations on the African continent, Zaid's annual review of human rights highlighted violations elsewhere around the world, from reports of mass killings of Rohingya minority men, women and babies in Myanmar, to a war on drugs in the Philippines that appears to encourage extrajudicial killings. At the Human Rights Council, Zaidrad al-Hussein also repeated his call for an end to the death penalty, noting that over 80% of member states have halted capital punishment. Turning to the issue of migration, Zaid also criticised increasing calls within the European Union for processing centres outside the Eurozone, as well as what he called the chilling indifference of politicians to people fleeing violence. Daniel Johnson, United Nations, Geneva. The European Union has threatened Congolese politicians
1: with fresh sanctions if they don't resolve the current political stalemate in the country. This as the Democratic Republic of Congo waits for the country's first ever transition of power. The Central African country has been in political deadlock since uh, President Joseph Kabila's decision to stay in power after the end of his second and last mandate last year. Talks to implement the transitional government deal agreed between Kabila's government and the opposition were thrown into disarray after the death of opposition coalition leader Etienne Chisegedi last month. Channel Africa reporter Kumbelom Jelele has compiled this report.
8: Opposition coalition leader Etienne Chisekedi was sent to oversee transition of power to a new unity government under a power sharing deal agreed between the opposition and President Joseph Kabila at the end of last year, paving the way for a peaceful handover of power. But Chisikedi died last month and a row over who would become his successor and prime minister of the new government blocked the implementation of the December 31st deal. In a meeting in Brussels, the EU foreign ministers stayed the crisis in the Democratic Republic of Congo can only be resolved by the rapid implementation of the agreement, reminding politicians and members of the security forces that it is prepared to adopt new individual sanctions. Echoing the United Nations Security Council, the EU said it is also concerned about recent reports of serious human rights violations committed by local militias and security forces, particularly in the three provinces of Kasai and the Congo Central in the Kivu provinces and in Tanganyika province, according to Ramazani Polepole, DRC's political analyst, the sanctions were long overdue. Uh,
9: yes, it's a very good thing. It's a very good sign for the government that is not uh, is trying to stop the implementation of the agreement. Uh, but also you have to understand that there is a misunderstanding of international community of the crisis of Congo centralizing everything with uh, by the election it uh, doesn't going to solve the problem yes this it will put pressure on the government to see that there is a clear sign that the international community start understanding that there is a need of changing of the regime in the DRC, but uh, on my point of view, it is not a, a solution. The implementation of this agreement uh, that they had uh, last time is not all. Crisis of Congo cannot be centralizing only by saying election. Elections is not going to solve all the problem of Congo. I think the international community need to see more than that agreements only and give more sanctions. Last
8: year, the EU imposed individual sanctions on seven senior security officials of Kabila's regime it claimed were responsible for violence that killed some 50 people in September 2016 in Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of the Congo has been in a political deadlock since President Joseph Kabila's decision to stay in power after the end of his second and last mandate in December 2016. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbaru Munjerere in Johannesburg.
1: South Africa's Defence Minister Noseviwe Mapisa has paid tribute to around 300 women soldiers deployed on a peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo. She addressed the female troop stationed at Goma in the east of the country to mark International Women's Day yesterday. This was ahead of her oversight visit to mission areas where the SANDF members are deployed. Norma Polanyi reports from Goma in the DRC.
10: The first stop on Defence Minister Nosiviwe Mapisa nqakulas oversight visits was an engagement session with women soldiers stationed in Goma. In recognition of International Women's Day, the Minister hailed the bravery of the women in uniform in both the supporting roles as well as those on the ground who've dedicated their life to serve in peacekeeping missions on the continent.
11: I wish to single out the role that women deployed in this part of the contingent have played side by side with your male comrades. I'm particularly pleased that even some of the specialized units within this mission are commanded by women. I emphasize this because it is not a universal norm for women who serve in the armed forces to also serve or be deployed in combat. Minister Mapisa
10: Ngakula also recognised the challenges faced by women in the army, saying it's not only about putting your life on the line, but also having to prove yourself in an environment that is still dominated by men. Major Zanele Vallege, who's the only female pilot deployed in Goma, has defied the patriarchal stereotypes that only men reach the highest ranks within the Defence Force.
4: I have to make a plan with regards to that and try not to complain uh, about being a woman. Because uh, most of the time when you speak to guys, they come back to you and tell you about you being a soldier. So being a soldier comes first and then they tell you a woman comes second. So you have to try and adjust to being a soldier and being a woman at the center. Men don't want to accept and understand that we as women are here and are here to stay. So you have to make a mark, make a name for yourself for them to know and understand
10: that you are here. Vayake says she hopes that her journey in the Air Force can motivate and encourage young South African girls to realize that societal expectations shouldn't limit your dreams.
4: I'm very honored to know that there is a young girl at home who's watching me now and saying one day I want to be like major as i That makes me very proud to be where I am today and to be who I am. And my motto is I always say that you don't have enough terrain in the defense force, especially in my trade where there's less pilots or less female pilots than male
10: pilots. Some of the women soldiers took the opportunity to raise challenges in which they face while in combat. The other challenge that we have is water challenge.
12: Due to that, the trucks that we have are old. We end up not bathing due to that they cannot go fetch water. So we are requesting for the new trucks.
2: We don't have enough uh, sanitary facilities. And our bathroom, especially for the ladies, she's not user-friendly. The she-beams we have, we use them, but we don't have a way to dispose
4: our um, sanitary waste. That is my main concern. We
12: banned
13: them last time
12: and it's not
10: healthy. Mapisa Ngakola has promised to engage with the Defence Force Chief of Staff on how the concerns raised must be addressed. On Thursday, she'll visit the North Kivu base, where 15 soldiers have lost their lives since SNDF's deployment in 2013. The minister will commemorate these soldiers with the wreath-laying ceremony. am in Gama, DRC.
1: UN Secretary General General Antonio Guterres has called on the international community to provide more support to the African Union mission in Somalia, Amisom, whose troops are battling the Al-Shabaab militant group alongside the Somali army. Speaking after a meeting with Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta, Guterres said funding cuts to the mission would hamper the global war on on terrorism. Sarah Kimani reports.
11: Talks between the Secretary General and President Kenyatta centred on regional issues. Kenya is among the troop contributing countries to the African Union mission for Somalia. Last year, the European Union announced a 20% cut in its funding to the mission. The UN chief says to achieve its mandate, support for AMISOM is crucial.
14: AMISOM needs to have predictable funding and needs to have support in the development of its capacities in order to be able to fully met its objectives of fighting terrorism and creating the conditions for a future for Somalia.
11: Kenyatta spoke of Kenya's commitment to finding a solution to the 25-year-old conflict in Somalia. He, however, insisted that after more than two decades in refugee camps in Kenya, the repatriation of refugees is irreversible.
0: The best response to that tragedy is to help the refugees to return and rebuild their nation. That is Kenya's policy and our efforts to hasten repatriation and settlement of refugees. But as always, these efforts shall remain guided by relevant domestic and international laws.
11: Some of those who have voluntarily returned home are now sheltered in camps for internally displaced persons due to a devastating drought affecting the country. Sarah Kimani, Kenya.
1: Time now is 19 minutes after 8 o'clock If you just tuned in, welcome to the show This is of course uh, Africa Rise and Shine Exclusive to Channel Africa The Voice of the African Renaissance Now as I did mention, if you just tuned in You're just in time for our conversation with uh, Mary Harris The Head of uh, Public Affairs at the Research Institute of Ipsos Now apparently new data released by the Research Institute Ipsos Shows that uh, the majority of people in in 24 countries around the world believe men and women should be treated equally. The survey among online adults aged under 65 in countries including China, Mexico and Russia also finds a majority of both women and men define themselves as feminists although a quarter say they are scared to speak up to equal rights especially in India this was revealed as the world marked International Women's Day yesterday. For more findings on this survey we are now joined on the line by mary harris head of public affairs at Re- at the research institute Epsis, good morning and welcome to channel africa
15: good morning Tata. thanks for this opportunity
1: now could you briefly highlight the findings of the report for us
15: you know what in in general the big thing that stands out for me if we look past all the numbers and the figures and everything else is that, in principle, there is so much support in the world that women and men should be treated equally, that, um, you know, the one uh, um, gender is not more valuable than the other. Uh But in practice, it's not the case. So I think that's the big thing that stands out for me because 88% people around the world say they believe in equal opportunities for men and women. And women should be treated equally to men in all areas based on their competency and not on their gender. But then when you ask people, um, do you think this is the case in the world? You support this, but do you think this is the case? Then 72% say that inequality does exist. Uh-huh. So, as I said, the principle is there, but the practice is not. And then if we go further and we ask people in your own country, um, do you think women and men are treated equally? Then even less people say that it is the case. Uh So that, that that really stood out for me.
1: I imagine um, some people might question the validity of, uh, the, of the survey, sensing that it's conducted in, online. This only reflects, obviously, the opinions of participants who have online access and not that of the total adult population. Uh, what does this say about the actual validity of this uh, research? Because it tends to um, focus on people, obviously, who've got internet um, access to computers and all of that and, you know, segregates yeah. most of the population.
16: Yes,
15: you are quite right. The study does focus on online um, people with online access only. However, people with online access all over the world tend to be opinion leaders, mm-hmm. and that is the reason why we do study. the study. The other point I think that's very important, it's only in a few countries, um, South Africa for one, um, India, Brazil, China, where the online population is still too small But in in a lot of the countries all over the world, the online population and the general population are actually uh, almost congruent. Uh If you think about the States, Finland, the UK, France, um, even Canada, um, you know, in a lot of countries, really, Japan, online access is is almost universal. So we started doing this study a few years ago, not necessarily about women's rights, but about all sorts of other issues that, that are important in the world. Uh-huh. And this has grown now to such an extent that we do a short study every month um, all over the world. Um, It's about 20,000 interviews All over the world Mm -hmm. uh, With the online population And looking at different aspects of things That are important in the world Mm -hmm. I think it gives us a good indication Of things that are trending And things that are important to the
9: world population
1: Mm -hmm. Now around the world Obviously men continue to earn more than women Which obviously puts women At a disadvantage when it comes to uh, Being able to have an equal Playing field within the economy Uh, What were some of the Uh, of the participants in terms of the economic inequality?
16: Well,
15: um, there's also, unfortunately, um, but that's just just my view, and a lot of your listeners might not agree with me, um, one in every five people that we interviewed believe that women are inferior to men. Mm -hmm. And um, also a quarter um, believe that Um, men are more capable of doing things in society such as working, earning money, being educated and teaching and you know I really have an issue with that if on the one side you say women and men should be treated equally on the other side you say women are inferior to men then I I, I do think there's there's a disconnect here Mm -hmm. and what is the most interesting to me is that um, especially in the BRICS countries, mm-hmm. it is quite a strong feeling. And the the strongest um, feeling of that women are inferior to men came out in Russia and India, where mm-hmm. almost half of the population believes that women are inferior. Mm-hmm. Um, China was a little bit behind them. In South Africa, it was 18% to say that um, mm-hmm. women are inferior to men, and in Brazil, it was 16%. So, you see, in the, in the trading area in which we operate, it mm-hmm. is also quite a, quite a prevalent belief.
1: I actually wanted to, you mentioned, obviously, the BRICS nations. I wanted to dissect uh, the data further in terms of uh, the African countries that took part as well, if there were any, and how does this data relate uh, on an African uh, context? Um, what, mm-hmm. what findings did you um, find there?
15: In Africa, unfortunately, at this stage, South Africa is the only participant.
16: Uh-huh.
15: Um, the reason being the, in the question of Internet access.
16: Uh-huh. We
15: are working towards getting uh, Kenya online uh-huh. as well. Um, in the study, probably towards the middle of the year, we will have Kenya online as well. Nigeria will follow. So we, we really are working to get our spread for this particular study. Uh, widened in Africa as well. Uh But we have done a lot of studies in Africa, obviously face-to-face interviews, Uh speaking to populations. And one thing that struck me um, from studies in Africa is that there's a strong belief that um, boys uh, have more rights to education than girls.
16: Uh Uh So,
15: you know, it is sort of underlying all these feelings of, of Anti women, almost.
6: Mm-hmm.
15: Um, the fact that that even from a young age, people are children are socialised to believe that that um, boys have, have a right to be higher up in society than women,
16: mm-hmm. and it's
15: it's especially prevalent in Africa, mm-hmm. from other studies that I've done.
1: Yeah, speaking of uh, obviously the whole. Privilege and having gender roles within, especially um, not, you, you mentioning Africa, how boys are more privileged um, versus um, ladies or girls in terms of gender roles across the twenty-four countries. A certain percentage of men believe that obviously uh, women should stay, should just stay at home. And um, although both genders are equally likely to believe uh, that women are inferior, do you think? Do we think that this view could change over the years?
15: I do think it could change but um there's a few things that have to change in our society
16: mm-hmm. you
15: know it doesn't it doesn't help to try and build a society if you think half of the population are not worth it
16: mm-hmm. you know
15: <laughs> that's just putting it bluntly on the other hand um the more women make a, a contribution to the economy and to society i think this view will change I also think it depends very much on women themselves
16: mm-hmm. and
15: to take their place.
16: Mm-hmm. Because
15: there is a I think I believe there's an equal place for women and women have to to have the guts and take that place. Do you but think it is also important for men yeah. to to sort of make the space.
1: Do you think that it's a deep rooted social construct that um that people have this sort of thinking that um men are more superior than women do you think that there needs to be some structural changes that need to be employed across the communities that we live in
15: absolutely if you look at our history and not only the history of africa but the history of the world Mm -hmm. you can see that in religion in history in and there was always a strong patriarchal society, and basically, in the old days, it was men are stronger than women. I mm-hmm. mean, um, that's a given. But they, I think, as far as brains go, there's absolutely no difference.
16: Mm-hmm. And if
15: we look at, at the, um, for instance, at the matric results in mm-hmm. South Africa last year, more girls excelled than boys. Mm-hmm. And if you go and look at universities in South Africa, I'm not sure what it is in other countries, mm-hmm. but in South African universities, definitely, the enrollment of girls is much more than boys. Mm-hmm. And the girls are more likely to, um, you know, let's just not generalize, but just let's say...
1: Go thing to be successful. Mm-hmm. Mary, unfortunately we're going to have to leave it there as time is not on our side. What an interesting conversation of course that we were having uh, with uh, Mary Harris, the head of public affairs at the Research, uh, research Institute at Ipsos. If you do have any um, comments on this, please do head on to our social media platforms that is at Rise Shine Africa as well as at Channel Africa 1 and make your voices heard with regards to what we were discussing right here. Coming up, after this of course news headlines with Ann Musa.
2: a very good morning to you I'm Ann Moussa on the headlines Nigerians have welcome Nigerians have been welcomed to travel to the United States following confusion over President Donald Trump's new immigration rules. Rights groups have urged the UN Security Council to impose targeted sanctions on Burundian officials over alleged human rights violations in the country, and the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of the Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities have questioned why South Africans are not outraged by the deaths and disappearances of hundreds of young men at initiation schools each year those are the stories making headlines
8: hello This month, the African Union will be hosting its inaugural African Economic Platform in the Mauritian capital of Port Louis. The summit will take place from the 20th to the 22nd of this month. This will be a forum for frank engagements between African heads of state, business leaders and academics on Africa's future. Furthermore, it will explore opportunities for the implementation of the AU Agenda 2063. Join Channel Africa Radio as we bring you unfolding events in Mauritius from the 20th to the 22nd of this month. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 29 minutes
1: before the top of the hour, 9 o'clock right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're still listening to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Tato Tolo. If you just tuned in, welcome to the show. We've been having some really uh, robust discussions here on the show, a lot of issues bouncing around, of course. Uh, We were talking to uh, Mary Harris, the head of public affairs at the Research Institute of Ipsos. If you do have any comments about that, of course, uh, uh, detailing what research they They've been conducting with regards to how women are faring with regards to their male counterparts. And since seeing that yesterday, we observed International Women's Day. Um, that was a pertinent question that was needed uh, to be had. Go on to our social media platforms there. That is at Channel Africa 1, at Rise Shine Africa, as well as on our Facebook page, Channel Africa. It's as simple as that in order to get the conversation going on our social media platforms. Now, Kenya joined the world in celebrating International Women's Day yesterday, promising to comment on uh, gender equality and to fight gender-based violence against women and girls. The country's main celebrations took place at at the Kenyatta International Convention Center in uh, the capital, Nairobi. Channel Africa's Diana Wanyoni was there
4: during this year's celebration under the theme be bold for change women in kenya have been urged to vie for different political seats during this period the country is preparing to hold general elections on the 8th of august first lady margaret kenyatta said the events mark the remarkable contribution of women in society adding that they are key drivers in shaping the political landscape
3: this year's UN Global Theme provides an opportunity for us to appreciate the remarkable contribution of women to our society. This administration recognizes the unique strength of women in Kenya, most of who play multiple and varied roles in their daily lives.
4: She added that there is need to make renewed commitments towards gender equality and empowerment
3: The AU Agenda 2063 clearly articulates the continent's commitment to achieve gender equality. Both agendas epitomize the importance of gender empowerment and equality at both regional and global level. But equally is the need to ensure the protection of the rights of women and girls.
4: Another HIG profile guest at the celebration was United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who said that the male-dominant culture should be tackled as soon as possible so as to give women the opportunity to be heard and enjoy their rights.
14: Everywhere we still have a male-dominated culture. I felt it first of all when I was Prime Minister in my country. One of the most difficult things that I had to face was... How to convince the government, the parliament, the police forces, the magistrates and the society in general that we have a serious problem of family violence and that we have to work together to make sure that we would be able to solve that problem in my work as i commissioner for refugees when i had to deal with some of the most dramatic violations of women's rights from genital mutilation to child marriage to sexual and gender based violence and of course my organization and the civil society organizations work with me and governments they all had programs against it and we would all tick the boxes of the different actions that were necessary to be done but there was never strong full commitment that was necessary to fully eradicate. those terrible violations of women's rights
4: Kenya's cabinet secretary for public service youth and gender Cecil Kariuki gave the assurance that her ministry will give priority to matters that are violating women's and girls rights in the country
5: responding to violence and discrimination against women will remain a priority area for my ministry through programmatic interventions and in partnership with partners
4: on harmful cultural practices such as female genital mutilation, FGM, First Lady Margaret Kenyatta said that Kenya has made robust steps in fighting FGM. She said the country will soon launch two initiatives that will fight FGM and early child marriages.
3: Efforts to end FGM have led to a decline from 27% in 2009 to 21% in 2015. To enhance these interventions, to end harmful sociocultural practices. We will shortly launch two strategic initiatives, the AU Campaign on Ending Child Marriage in Africa and Joint Government of Kenya and UN Program on Gender-Based Violence.
4: That was Kenya's first lady, Margaret Kenyatta, speaking during the celebration of International Women's Day at Kenyatta International Conventional Center in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Kenya.
1: South African opposition parties have, been, have lamented the fact that no minister was available to brief Parliament's International Relations Committee on the government's withdrawal from the International Criminal Court. Instead, they decided to send officials. South Africa formally revoked its withdrawal from the Rome statutes yesterday following the North Gauteng Court ruling declaring the withdrawal decision without first informing Parliament as unconstitutional and invalid. Zeline Merrington reports.
12: The briefing of the International Relations Committee was supposed to be done by Justice Minister Mike Masuta. MPs were informed that Masuta is ill, but that the minister acting on his behalf, the Communications Minister, Faith Mutambi, could not make it for the meeting either. This left the Acting Chief State Law Advisor Aisha Johar to face the music. The court found that there was nothing patently unconstitutional at this stage about the National Executive's policy decision to withdraw from the Rome Statute. This was so because it is within its powers
17: and competence to make such a decision.
12: But opposition parties weren't happy that there was no political head to answer questions.
17: Insofar as the political, uh, the political heads of the department are not here, I think we are making a serious mistake to think that we can pin down members of the bureaucracy to answer political questions, yes. not to answer what is going to happen if we withdraw from the ICC. That question must be answered by the ministers here. Mm. Now, I, I find it very embarrassing that we place ourselves in a position where we confront, you know, sardines when the sharks are away. Mm. We need the sharks here and then deal with
16: those sharks.
5: We would be barking at the wrong tree, as it were, if we want to ask political questions to actually uh, uh, legal technocrats. Uh, I have a lot of
1: questions to ask the minister, and I'm expecting him to actually give answers to that. And certainly I cannot um, expect any answers on my questions from, from the legal experts.
0: Here, we've got the
14: legal advisers to respond and to present, but I'm sure the ministers, at least one of the ministers, should have been present because ultimately it's the ministry that makes the decision, the executive. Now, South Africa has been summoned to The Hague on the 7th of April to explain why Omar al-Bashir was allowed to exit South Africa. Are we aware of this?
12: A member of the ANC, Becky Hadebe, says they are confident that the country's withdrawal from the ICC could be finalised by next year.
5: The issue of the substantive issue to go upon, the court didn't make any expression on, around that. So I think that this thing must it might be delayed for a year to upon as it was going to be effective in October. It might be
9: effective after we've done the parliamentary process. It can be done next year.
5: The chairperson
12: of the committee, Moses Masangu, has undertaken that both the Ministers of Justice and International Relations should account on this matter soon. I'm Merrington at Parliament.
0: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
4: Africa,
0: rise and shine.
5: I am Hilda Keke in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa. Kinshasa. From an African perspective,
0: listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja.
5: This is Moki Kinzaka in
0: Yawundi, Informing the world about Africa.
4: In <laughs> Lesotho. And I am Diana for Channel Africa in Mombasa.
0: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: 19 minutes before the top of the hour 9 o'clock, of course you're tuned in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. If you just tuned in welcome to the show. The United States has described as unbelievable irresponsible arrogance the actions of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un speaking after an emergency security council meeting after where the Democratic People's Republic of Korea's latest ballistic missile launches were condemned. The council members expressed their concern about the increase destabilizing behavior after Pyongyang uh, fired four ballistic missiles on Monday that landed in the sea within Japan's exclusive economic zone. China's proposal that North Korea stop testing missiles in exchange for the U.S. and South Korea stop it, stopping their joint military ex- exercises also appears to have been rejected. Show and Price Peace reports.
18: Despite numerous resolutions imposing stiff sanctions against the DPRK, they continue unapologetically to develop their nuclear weapons program, infuriating several members of the Security Council. Listen to Nikki Haley, the United States Ambassador.
13: We saw that we had a launch in February. We saw the assassination of Kim Jong-nam after that from chemical weapons, which Malaysia has um, reported and now a multiple ballistic missile launch. This is someone who's trying to get attention. This is someone who's trying to um, cause a reaction, but this is what bothers us. It hit less than 200 nautical miles of Japan. They said that their goal is to be able to reach U.S. bases in Japan. This is not something we can take lightly. The global community needs to understand every country is in danger from the actions of North Korea.
18: The US has also begun deploying an advanced missile THAAD defense system in South Korea, with both countries arguing that it's being done in response to North Korean provocations.
13: Tell me why we wouldn't do the THAAD in light of 24 ballistic missiles, in light of two nuclear tests, knowing that we're gonna protect our allies we are not going to leave South Korea standing there, with the threat of North Korea facing them, and not help. So that is the reason for that is because of the actions of North Korea.
18: South Korean Ambassador Cho Tai also responded to China's proposal that Seoul suspend military exercises with the United States in return for North Korea suspending missile tests.
0: On freeze for freeze, the annual or. Uh joint military exercise by Korea and the United States isn't defensive in nature. This is an annual defensive exercise that has been conducted since a long time ago. So linking this exercise to anything else uh, which is uh, illegal nuclear uh, missile provocation by North Korea is inappropriate and acceptable. And I think uh, this is just uh, trying to linking the
18: unlinkable. China's ambassador Liu Ji cautious to avoid an escalation, has again called for dialogue.
7: The most important thing, of course, is to reduce tension and also to get on the track of dialogue, to seek uh, progress
0: in in denuclearization and also to maintain peace and stability on the Korean peninsula. That's the most important thing that um, we must do at the moment.
18: And while the Council appears hamstrung on what more to do about North Korea's belligerence, the anxiety about what the unpredictable nation might do next is clear ambassador nikki
13: haley again we have not seen any goodwill at all coming from north korea um i appreciate all of um my counterparts wanting to talk about talks and negotiations we are not dealing with a rational person if this was any other country we would be talking about that and it wouldn't be an issue This is not a rational person who has not had rational acts, who is not thinking clearly.
18: The council also discussed Malaysian claims that North Korean agents assassinated the brother of North Korea's leader at an airport in that country using a banned chemical weapon nerve agent, but no further details were released. I'm Sherwin Bricepies in New York.
1: Time now is 15 before 9 o'clock and Tabiso is on standby with the latest in economics.
19: Thanks indeed. Ministers from various African countries are joining over 400 investors and 50 speakers in an investment forum exploring global opportunities within Africa's energy and infrastructure sectors. This, as the Powering Africa Summit opens in Washington, D.C., U.S. Representative Congressman Ed Royce, who is the chairperson of House Foreign Affairs Committee will address delegates at the summit. Royce worked tirelessly to pass the bill. The electricity... Africa Act, which was successfully signed into law last year. The bill seeks to address the significant electricity shortage in Africa that affects the everyday lives of millions of people. Royce's participation will provide an insight into the act and how it will continue to maintain competitiveness in Africa whilst increasing global security and social stability. South Africa will use its chairmanship of the Indian Ocean Rim Association to unlock and upscale the economic potential of its vast ocean. President Jacob Zuma undertook a state visit to Indonesia and also attended the leaders' summit of 21 countries bordering the Indian Ocean, which includes Australia, Malaysia, Thailand, Kenya and Tanzania, among others. South Africa will assume the chairmanship of the Indian Ocean region from 2017 to 2019. Zuma says that this will help to accelerate South Africa's development using the ocean.
5: We have established Operation PAKISA, which identified the blue economy, that there is a massive economy in the ocean. I think we are going to be very innovative. We are going to learn from other countries that have chaired this, and I would imagine there is nothing that stops us to use the same kind of talent that we have used in establishing Operation Pakisa. Now, as South Africa, will use that kind of advantage and knowledge to expand the activities in the ocean economy.
19: The largest privately owned Pan-African telecoms operator and a leading service provider in Zambia, Paratus Telecom has installed cut-edge wireless broadband technology that reduces signal interference and enables greater coverage with less infrastructure. The jet bidirectional beam forming ptmb base station system supplied by a global wireless broadband provider, Rodwin, provides high-capacity lost-mile connectivity to residential and enterprise users in the capital, Lusaka, as well as in various other provinces. Paratus Telecom has also installed Rodwin 2000 point-to-point for high-capacity backhaul, while Beacon Telecom, Rodwin's partner in Zambia, was responsible for project design and the implementation. Nigeria is determined to emerge from its first recession in a quarter of a century this year and needs to put more effort in revamping its infrastructure. The country's Budget Minister, Udoma Uto Udoma, says that the economy is becoming, or rather beginning to recover after it experienced a smaller contraction in the fourth quarter, although it's still in recession. He says the 2017 budget is structured to get to get Nigeria's economy out of recession. A new labor federation in South Africa to Ravel, the biggest trade federation, KOSATU, says it will hold its formal launch from the 21st to the 23rd of April. The former General Secretary of KOSATU, Zolindzimavavi, who leads the movement, says the new federation, which is said to be named, will be representing 21 unions and over 600,000 members.
9: The steering committee for the new federation is pleased to announce that the founding congress of the new independent, democratic and campaigning trade union federation has been shifted to the 21st to 23rd April 2017. This shifting was necessitated by the objective challenges on the part of two unions, in and
19: the US dollar trades at 13.2 in South Africa, 10.29 in Botswana, 9.64 in Zambia, 8.2 British pound, 9.4 Euro, gold $1,000, $207 platinum, $945 an ounce, brand crude, $53.57 a barrel. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Ten minutes before nine o'clock and Fiji Liillingwhi is on standby with the last lab with the sports.
5: And in this update we continue to inform you that New Zealand captain Kane Williamson, we guided his team to Stamps on 177 for 3 at the end of the second day's play of the first test against South Africa in Dunedin today. Still trailing by 131, Williamson at 78, not out, and Jitan Patel on 9, not out, will resume on Friday morning. Gid Raval and Williamson were engaged in a war of attrition against a high-pressure South African bowling attack as New Zealand advanced to 59 for 1 at T. Raval was on 26 from 70 balls, while Williamson was 21 not out as the host chipped away at South Africa's first innings, total of 308. New Zealand had dismissed the protest about 15 minutes after lunch when Trent Bolt bowled Vernon Philander for 21 to pick up his fourth wicket of the innings. And on to football news in Europe, Serge Roberto scored in the fifth minute of stoppage time as Barcelona kept a sensational Champions League fight back to thrash Paris Saint-Germain 6-1 and reach the quarterfinals on Wednesday. Despite Luis Suarez's early opener and Lavin Kuzawa own goal and Lionel Messi's penalty, Barca, who lost the first leg 4-0, looked down and out when Edison Cavani volleyed home what seemed to be the vital away goal for PSG. However, Neymar restored Barca's belief as he firstly fired home a sensational free kick two minutes from time and then converted from the penalty sport. and Roberto kept the biggest comeback in Champions League history when he stretched to turn home Neymar's dinged cross to the di- delight of nearly 100,000 at the Rocking Camp No, making the score 6-5 on aggregate. And Amajita's hopes of repeating history 20 years later were dashed on Wednesday as they narrowly lost 1-0 to host Zambia in another 20 African Nations Cup semi-final played at the Heroes National Stadium in the Saka. Amajita coach, Tabo Sinon, says despite the loss he still proud of his team.
17: Let me start by congratulating Zambia for going through uh, to the finals. Well done. Uh, it was a good match. Uh, you know we had moments where we looked better. They also had uh, moments where they looked better. And uh, it was unfortunate, you know, maybe we could have converted, I think, two, three chances. But yeah, uh, I will just congratulate Zambia. But I'm also very proud of my boys because, uh, you know, just after qualifying for the semis, which is like the World Cup, uh, obviously every game is now preparation for World Cup. And uh, I'm very happy with the, you know, the attitude of our players, the response, the way we behaved when we were defending, we were very compact, so yeah. I'm very proud of them it was a very good match for the fans for the people in Zambia it is just unfortunate that at the end of the day one team has had to win and uh, in this case I'll always congratulate uh, Zambia but also I'm very proud of the Amajita team.
5: Zambian coach Ben Bestin Chambeshi is happy that the game wasn't decided on penalties. Yeah it wasn't an easy game and uh, I concur with my colleague team they play very well, like uh, South Africa, that to play well in defense. You know, my team, the scoring team, but uh, it wasn't easy for us to penetrate that, that defense. And uh, I'm happy with the way South Africa played. And uh, they have improved their in some areas, especially in defense. It's not easy to go through that defense. But uh, I'm happy with the result. And uh, yeah, for sure, we agreed with my boys, we don't have to go to penalties. And the, I'm happy, the game has ended And finally, with the cycling news, Cycling South Africa, CSA, received the stamp of approval from the continent after it was decided that South Africa will host the African Continental Track Cycling Championship at the Cyril Coogan Velodrome in Durban from the 20th to the 24th of March. That's your Sport News this hour.
0: Africa, Rise and Shine Africa, Zola, Africa,
1: Amika, Na Unay five minutes before the top of the hour nine o'clock we've come to the conclusion of the show but before we close things off let's just look at some of the top stories that we're making headlines on the show this hour u.n human rights chief calls for a probe on the drc abuses and south africa revokes its withdrawal from the international criminal court that wraps up africa rise and shine today from myself tato tolo producer pomozo zora homo Zomopulani, and uh, the rest of the team thank you for listening for comments about our show send us an sms on a plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or an email at info at channelafrica.co.za tweet us as well at rise shine africa taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency nine six two five kilohertz of the 31 meter band to southern africa is uh, cesrea evora with the song titled song de Bruna. do enjoy